The story of Jesus' anointing is a personal story for me. You may or may not know that I grew up in a quasi-religious family, and my father is against organized religion, so uh, the joke is on him that his only child is a priest of the church. I heard all the biblical stories growing up, right? Creation, Moses parting the Red Sea, and of course, Jesus and all his miracles. I don't remember, though, hearing this story until I was older. I do remember that when I heard it, it had a tremendous impact on me. For the first time, I had a story of a woman ministering with Jesus. There are few stories about women in Scripture, and few of them are positive. And yet women are essential to the story of Christ. It is women we find standing at the foot of the cross. It is the women who travel to the tomb on Easter morning. It is a woman, his mother, who brings Christ into the world. These are the stories that made a way for me to begin to understand my own vocation and ministry. Today's gospel actually begins with another story, the raising of Lazarus. In John chapter 11, Jesus hears from the crowd that Lazarus is sick and dying. But Jesus takes his time traveling to Bethany. He arrives four days after Lazarus' death. And this is where Martha and Mary enter the story. It's a wild story, really. And the theological implications are extraordinary. In the Gospel according to John, it is very explicit about its meaning. Jesus and Martha have a candid conversation, preparing the reader for all that is about to happen. Here, Jesus makes clear that the resurrection is not an apocalyptic future moment to hope for. He says, I am the resurrection. That the redemptive power of God in our lives is fully known in him the incarnate word. Before Jesus even enters Jerusalem, his incarnation is fully revealed right here in this moment as he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, in John's gospel, the raising of Lazarus is this hinge between his ministry, his life, and his death and resurrection. The chief priests and the Pharisees understand the political ramifications of raising Lazarus from the dead. As the crowd begins to believe in Jesus, the Messiah, as they begin to worship him, the entire Jewish community grows afraid. You see, the only one who can be worshipped in the Roman Empire is the Roman emperor, And Jesus is becoming a threat to the very power of Rome by all the crowds who are following him and believing in him. 
The authorities begin to fear that Rome will destroy the entire nation of Israel and their holy temple. They have a whole conversation about which is better, for one to die for all or for all to die because of one. This this is the stage for the meal that we witness today in our gospel. The chief priests and Pharisees are looking to find Jesus and arrest him. Think about the most tense meal you've ever been a part of, that you've participated in. Now, I've never sat around a table with someone I love who's about to be arrested, but I have a pretty vivid imagination, so I can kind of wonder about what that experience might be like. You see, the risk at this table is very real. If the authorities discover that Jesus is in Bethany at Lazarus's home, they will arrest him and Lazarus. They are planning to kill both of them. So I can imagine that the tensions around that table are pretty high. Perhaps some awkward silences. I can imagine that everyone is trying to manage their emotions and all of the emotions around the table. Into this scene comes Mary of Bethany. Now, if you've heard of Mary before, you may have a lot of assumptions about her and even her relationship to Jesus. I would like for you to just take all of those and set them over here for a moment. In John's Gospel, she has appeared only one other time. Just before Lazarus is raised from the dead, Mary says to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is their only interaction that we witness prior to this gospel today. And it is the last time that Mary of Bethany will be mentioned. We know nothing about her except these two moments. Mary takes a half a liter. I meant to bring with me the liter of olive oil that I use in my home to cook with. So if you use a liter of olive oil, I want you to imagine a jar half that size full of fragrant, musky nard. Think about the texture of that oil, the fragrance of that perfume. Mary goes to Jesus, kneels at his feet, and pours this oil all over them, wiping them with her hair. Can you imagine? The only thing John tells us is that it filled the house with the fragrance of the perfume. We know nothing about her motives or her desires. Maybe this is an act of gratitude for Lazarus's life. Maybe she's anointing Jesus for his entry into Jerusalem or even his death and burial. 
Maybe this is a sign of friendship and love between them. It could be all of those and so much more. Certainly, it is an intimate, vulnerable act. I wonder what it would be like to have this kind of relationship with Jesus. Consider just a moment feet. The soles of our feet are a part of our body that very few people see or touch. Indeed, every time Monday Thursday rolls around in Holy Week, people ask me, are you going to wash our feet? Because if so, I'm going to need a pedicure. The only people who touch our feet are either people who love us or we love very much or who we pay to take care of our feet. And if our feet are misshapen or calloused, most of us have clean feet. We wear shoes and socks, right? I, can, I feel confident saying that Jesus' feet were not clean that he was not wearing socks and maybe not even shoes, and that he had not had a pedicure. What would inspire us to wash dirty, calloused, smelly feet? And Mary does more than wash Jesus' feet. This is an expensive oil, a perfume, and her hair. What would have to happen in any relationship to compel us to act as Mary does? Can we imagine kneeling at Jesus' feet and washing them with oil and drying them with our hair? Now, it strikes me as important that this scene comes before Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. I mean, at the risk of being heretical, one wonders if Jesus didn't take the idea from Mary. But it is different, obviously. Now there is perfume and hair. Then there will be water and bowls and towels. And while they are both acts of service, this one feels a bit different. Jesus washing the feet of the disciples does make us uncomfortable. And it is an uncomfortable moment in the gospel. And yet it still invites me in and draws me close to Jesus. Jesus may be the only person that I would let wash my feet. And I want him to wash my feet. But Mary, washing Jesus' feet with oil and her hair makes me uncomfortable. I want to look away. And I can't. What is the difference between those two moments? We expect Jesus to serve his disciples. Throughout the Gospels, he calls them friends, loves them, cares for them, prays for them. We expect Jesus to be vulnerable and intimate with the disciples. We don't witness the same self-offering to Jesus from his disciples. They are always with him. And at no point in the gospel do they serve him. And Mary defies this expectation. She makes an extravagant, intimate, 
vulnerable offering to Jesus in full view of the entire community. And Judas's comet is the ultimate counterpoint to Mary. Rather than emulating Mary's behavior, he speaks out loud his own discomfort by criticizing her, scoffing her. Now, of course, we know that Judas is going to betray Jesus, but even if we didn't know that, we can sense the falseness of his claims. And the gospel wants us to be very aware that he is a thief. In the face of Mary's actions, Judas looks rude and crass. He lacks sensitivity and compassion. And while Mary is everything a disciple could be, Judas is everything a disciple should not be. And I wonder, is it possible that Mary's anointing of Jesus is a way of caring for the poor? Through Christ, she knows that God has come close to her and she comes very close to God. And as she anoints Jesus, her actions honor God's reign in him. Here is her king, the incarnate word of God, enacting God's reign right here on earth. And surely, Christ's reign on earth is good news for the poor. Many years ago, this story, Mary anointing Jesus' feet, took root in my heart and grew. And to this day, its intimacy, the love and devotion here invite me close and make me uncomfortable. To watch Mary anoint Jesus is to witness intimate, vulnerable devotion. I want to have this experience with my Lord to come close to God in this way. And honestly, it makes me a bit uncomfortable because this devotion requires my vulnerability. Am I willing, like Mary, to worship Christ first before anything else, no matter the risk? As we come close to Christ today, I wonder how we can serve him. Where are we being called right now to be vulnerable in our devotion to Christ? There are so many ways we can offer ourselves, and the heart of discipleship is intimate worship, the offering of ourselves to the ministry and reign of Christ. May God grant us the courage and strength to make our offering through Christ our Lord. Amen.